One bright day in 2006, a woman named Betty, her husband Carlos, and their 13-year-old daughter, Paola, entered the United States seeking asylum from the violence that threatened her and her family in her native Colombia. Now you see, Betty was a teacher and began receiving threats on her life when she first started speaking to her classes about the devastating effects that cartel-related violence was having on their community. Now, though the violence that Betty and her family were fleeing from was well documented, they were ultimately denied their asylum petition in 2008, after two years of beginning to establish their family here. Their daughter was in school when both Betty and Carlos were working. Betty began taking classes in Chicago, eventually graduating with a Master's of Divinity degree, the same degree I have, by the way, from the Lutheran School of Theology, Chicago, where, incidentally, I completed three classes during my time in seminary, right about 2008, in fact. Though a good student and an accomplished pastor, Betty was never ordained by the evangelical, the evangelical Lutheran Church in America, only due to her immigration status. But she continued to serve, forever trapped in that student-pastor role, supporting congregations in Chicago and eventually just up the road here in the scene. Though they knew it risked exposing themselves to scrutiny they probably wished to avoid. When the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA legislation, was expanded to include undocumented persons in 2014, Betty and Carlos jumped at the opportunity to sign up Pava in the hopes her status, at least, would be permanently protected. And for a while, Betty and her family lived in peace, each working jobs, purchasing and maintaining their own home, paying payroll and property taxes. Paola eventually had her own daughter, the first official US citizen in the family, and everything seemed to be going pretty well. Betty stepped in in a moment of need to serve as the temporary pastor to the Lutheran ministry in Racine, albeit still under the student pastor moniker, and despite the commute from Chicago where she still lived. For her service and sacrifice, Pastor Betty was re recently recognized by the Bishop of the Milwaukee Synod as a brilliant preacher who was beloved by the congregation and helped it expand English-speaking and Spanish-speaking membership alike, even in a time of great congregational transition. But as May turned to June of this year, all of this would come to an abrupt end. Paolo was pulled over in Chicago by ICE officials while driving her now five-year-old daughter, Layla, to school. She was handcuffed and thrown in an ICE van. ICE agents said they were gonna be taking Layla to her grandparents' house and drove her car, with Layla still in the car seat, to the south side home where Betty and Carlos lived.
Now, Paula, as a DACA enrollee and her daughter, an American citizen, were released after a half day or so of detention in Chicago. But Betty and Carlos were arrested on the spot. Despite official petitions from the ELCA local and national leadership, the support, the support of the Imaus Lutheran Church community in Racine, and dozens of protests in Illinois and Wisconsin, including the one that I and many of you attended here at our own ICE detention facility in Kenosha, Pastor Betty Rendon Madrid and her husband Carlos Hincapi Geraldo were sent to Colombia within a month of their arrest. So our theme for October is belonging. What it means to belong, how we might belong, why it is so important for us to fit in or be simply part of something that is larger than ourselves. And there are some in our country whom many feel don't belong. And maybe they're sometimes right. Terrorists and opportunistic criminals, thugs and the proverbial murderers and rapists flooding our borders. At least you hear some people tell it. But say what you want about immigration. It is hard to fathom how these two people of Betty and Carlos fit the profile of dangerous immigrants from which we Americans need protection. In their over 13 years of residing in the United States, neither Betty nor Carlos had amassed any criminal record. Again, were home-owning taxpayers, and again, had every reason to believe when they came that they would be granted the asylum they legitimately sought for the safety of their family. But crossing the border without permission is a crime, or so I've heard some people say, and it is true that entering the U.S. without proper legal documentation is illegal. But it is a simple civil violation that gets handled in immigration court, technically a misdemeanor offense that carries fines and no more, no more than a sentence of six months in prison, which is far less than the detention time to which many so-called illegal border crossers are currently subject. But I would argue there are far worse crimes being committed all the time, not by border crossing asylum seekers, but by our government itself. As a signatory of the 1967 Protocol of the United Nations Multilateral Treaty on Refugees, the United States and all of the 146 signatory nations are bound to acknowledge and respect the rights of those seeking refugee status in their country. Now, according to the UN, a refugee is defined as, in part, as a person who, quote, owing to well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social or political group, is outside the country of his nationality and is unable or owing to such fear, is unwilling to avail himself of the protection of that country, or who, 
not having a nationality and being outside the country of his former habitual residence as a result of such events is unable or, owing to such fear, is unwilling to return to it. It's a pretty broad definition of refugee. Contracting states are defined as those nations who signed the convention and from which an individual refugee is seeking asylum. Such contracting states, including the U.S., agree to, this is from the language of the treaty, respect and recognize refugees' marriage status, provide court and administrative services to refugees free of charge, provide identity papers for refugees, allow refugees to transfer and control assets and property, allow refugees the free practice of their religion, provide refugees the same services and public assistance available to the nation's citizens, provide at least an, an elementary education to all refugee children, set no official limits on the number of asylum seekers and refugees admitted each year, and provide a clear pathway of refugees to attain citizenship. Conversely, the United States and member nations has agreed it may not discriminate against refugees, impose penalties on refugees who entered illegally in search of asylum, so long as they present themselves in a timely manner, defined as within one year of residence, or expel refugees or forcibly return them to the country from which they fled. So by a show of hands, who here was surprised by any of these things? I certainly was doing this research. Also by a show of hands, who here believes the United States is consistently acting in agreement with all of these points? Right? And finally, who here thinks that violating a signed treaty of international law is worse than an individual misdemeanor offense? But our immigration system is broken! I hear people and pundits lament alike. There's no way we can support thousands of folks who wish to live here with us, and immigrants take jobs and resources away from all of us struggling citizens. Well, that's not exactly true. In Wisconsin alone, we have over 80,000 undocumented immigrants and asylum seekers living here permanently, comprising nearly a third of the immigrant population here. We have nearly 7,000 DACA recipients and an additional 2,000 to 3,000 more folks who have applied for DACA status. Somewhere between 50 and 70 percent, 50 and 70 percent of Wisconsin's agricultural workers are undocumented immigrants, the highest portion of which work in our dairy production. These people and their families do not qualify for Obamacare or any other subsidized national health program, but do have state and federal taxes withheld from their paychecks, just like everybody else. 
Three out of five undocumented residents in Wisconsin have lived in the United States for more than 10 years. A third of undocumented residents own their own home, and households with at least one undocumented person contribute $72 million annually in state and local taxes to Wisconsin, and at a much higher percentage than any citizen. Now this number would actually increase the $72 million that Wisconsin makes off of uh, taxes from undocumented people would actually go up. That number would go up over $20 million annually if undocumented residents were offered a path towards citizenship. And finally, according to the Wisconsin Farmers Union, agriculture and related industries contributed over $1 trillion to the United States gross domestic product last year. And doing the math, if all undocumented farm workers were deported, the U.S. would stand to lose up to almost five trillion, that's trillion with a T, five trillion dollars in the following decade. So, you know, there's a lot of facts and figures here, but where does this all leave us? And again, remember that refugees are broadly defined as those with a legitimate fear of persecution in their home countries. The U.S. itself has agreed to respect and welcome refugees and asylum seekers as a 1967 signatory on the U.N. Refugee Convention. The majority of undocumented folks here in Wisconsin and elsewhere have lived in the United States for more than 10 years and undocumented residents contribute trillions of dollars to our U.S. economy every year. Now, pragmatically, it is unreasonable and unwise for the U.S. to crack down on so-called illegal immigration, as this proves to be short-sighted and self-sabotaging for citizens and our economy alike. But more than this, as a people of faith, here dedicated to the understanding that the love of the divine is one that we are each deserving of and responsible to this love, we do have larger spiritual questions to answer. Now again, our monthly theme for October is belonging and the religious and moral implications of welcoming the stranger. Throughout the world's religious traditions, hospitality and welcome is a common component of living a pious, moral existence. An empty seat is left for Elijah, and no stranger turned away during the Jewish celebration of Passover. Jesus himself welcomed his followers by washing their feet prior to the Last Supper, which was a task previously reserved for slaves and not for dinner hosts. And in Norse and Buddhist cultures, all travelers and strangers are to be treated with the utmost respect and welcomed simply for the possibility that they might indeed be living manifestations of the Father God Odin or the Buddha, respectively. But where religious wisdom points us is not always where we go as a nation or a world. In addition to our national foreign policy, which has 
helped contribute to some of the conditions in Latin America, the Middle East, and elsewhere from which refugees currently come. We have also committed the horrific crimes of family separation, indefinite detention, and deportation in direct conflict with international law. Now, thankfully, there is always some recourse for those of us who are citizens to advocate for and affect humane and pragmatic immigration policy. Here in Wisconsin, there are a number of initiatives that will help, at least partially, the situation in which we find ourselves. A bill that would restore pre-9-11 laws, allowing those without social security numbers to apply for and obtain Wisconsin driver's licenses, has passed the Wisconsin legislature, but is yet to become law. This bill would instantly reduce all of our insurance premiums, create accountability for all who use our roadways, and make Wisconsin roads safer than they are. Now, the second important initiative to keep in mind is the county-by-county county agreement, or not, to join local law enforcement with ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement, in conducting immigration raids, sharing data on suspected undocumented persons and communities, and assist in arrests, detentions, and deportation efforts. The statute is called 287G, and it empowers local police to do the work of ICE, often at odds with local laws. Now, currently, only Waukesha County in Wisconsin has joined the 287G program, but other counties are currently considering it. And conversely, the new sanctuary movement has afforded local communities the opportunity to reject some of these draconian practices by rejecting federal claims that ICE has to their data on immigration status. Though more of a general rather than a specific legal designation, many communities, including Milwaukee, have designated themselves sanctuary for undocumented folks and do not share information with federal agencies. Milwaukee schools have adopted a resolution declaring themselves safe havens for all children, regardless of immigration status, and have established procedures to protect their students from immigration raids while on school property. And finally, despite the current presidential administration's promise to end DACA, we have the opportunity to continue to advocate for those immigrants who came as children with no choice of their own, providing both immediate security of status and eventual pathways to citizenship, or at the very least, permanent residential status. But again, I, but again, I ask, what are we to do? Especially as people of faith, dedicated to the sacred principles of welcoming and belonging. Well, as in this and really in all of our struggles, I would ask us to look to our contemporary Unitarian Universalist value of simply choosing love over fear. We might fear that immigrants will take our jobs, rob our businesses, make our communities less safe. Or we might lovingly acknowledge their place in the very fabric of our economy, institutions, and society. 
We might fear that there won't be enough to go around. But we might love into the reality that all people have the potential to contribute to the common good, and that by extending rather than constricting legal status, all can contribute more. We might fear those who break the law by coming into this country without the appropriate paperwork, or we might recognize and love the rights of all people, regardless of national origin, as proclaimed by the UN and affirmed by our own government's ratification of international law. And we might fear that our culture would be threatened by those unlike ourselves. Or we might embrace and love the fact that all people who join our society have something to contribute to the greater knowledge, wisdom, and cultural diversity of our communities. If only we can choose love over fear in this and in all situations. We will be ever more welcoming and ever more will truly belong. May it be so. Blessed be and honor.